Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. No, no. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. And you like to have fun, right? Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hey, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family, welcome to the Gut Check Project. I am your host, Eric Rieger, joined by this awesome super host, Ken Brown, and we have a guest. We do have a guest, and that's a thank you for the improved intro on that the, one, like really set me step up. up. Yeah, I we love got, that. We have a little feedback. So... This is really exciting because there's very few times where I'm about ready to learn a lot. I've already learned a lot from our guest. This is Sherry Guess. We discovered her because she has an incredible podcast called The Heavily Meddled Podcast. Now, she has a great history. She is a former, what, heavy metal publicist. You've been a barrel racer. You are currently a singer in the Dallas Millennial Choir and Orchestra, and you are a realtor. But in that whole process, there was a period that we learned through your podcast that you unfortunately suffered after listening to this and anybody listening out there, I am with you. I believe that what we're going to talk about is going to be the new gluten if we get out there and start talking more. Because I've been doing a little homework since listening to your podcast, but we're talking about people suffering from metal consequences, metal allergy, anything you want to call it, after they've had a surgical procedure. So if you're somebody who's had anything done where any metals put in, and I'm including clips, staples, all kinds of things, there is the possibility that you may want to know about this, or at least if somebody is suffering from health issues. So Sherry, this is an exciting thing because, well, I'm kind of doing a deep dive on it myself right now, and I think that's one of the goals of your podcast is to educate people like me. It is. I am the only person talking about this. Now Now you, you can join me, but I'm the only person talking about this on a national, international forum. <laughs> Um, it's, I have found in my own personal observation, now I'm just a lay person, but literally 50% of the people I talk to with chronic pain have had a history of reactions to jewelry and have metal implanted in their body. But I will also bring up, it's not just about those that have had metal implants. It is about anybody who's had a jewelry reaction to metal, um, metal earrings, uh, watch band, snaps on jeans, anything like that. Anybody's a sitting duck for what happened to me. I almost died from this. And, you know, the the number of patients that are getting gaslit in the in the medical practitioner's offices and people that are people are suffering and dying from this. And it is just literally crickets. So it's not just implanted hardware. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's just wild whenever you say people are being gaslit because I can remember long ago Ken and I were having discussions about the idea that people were having significant metal allergies. Mm -hmm. And then not long after that, we ended up watching uh, an episode. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a, uh, a was it an hour and a half special. Yeah, it was Netflix on Netflix. Too. The Bleeding Edge. Yep. The Bleeding Edge. And of course, on your podcast already, you're off and running because I believe you had Francis Scott on yes. as one of your guests uh, currently. And what 
they were able to artic- ar- articulate in there were that IUDs, mesh, as well as um, orthopedic implants. They had the orthopedic surgeon who was on there who ended up getting sick from implants that he also was recommending to his own patients. So that's really what got, in, at least in my head, that we're ignoring something that's large and significant. And then I don't think that people really talk about how metals can function as an antigen and how that works for how they create antigens out of the proteins of your own body. Right. Well, I just want to say this really quick because I want to hear an abbreviated version of your story because your story (laughs) is incredible. It's totally incredible. But I want to say this after listening to you and everything that you've gone on or everything that you've had to endure, including the gaslighting and everything, when you start looking at it, uh, when people are willing to look at the data, these metal allergies are much more common than what these doctors are saying. Right. Much more common. And it is approximated that of a 10 to 15% of the population can have a metal allergy. When I looked at the revisions of joint replacement, mm-hmm. upwards of 20% of joints need to be replaced due to pain and complications, but it's never called a metal allergy or anything like that. So when I'm talking to people and I've been asking about jewelry issues, how many people have earring stuff where they're like, oh, yeah, I had this little reaction. And like, this is not a question that I'm asking as a physician. Do you have that? So that being said, if there is something out there where people can have a 15 to 20 percent reaction and it's nowhere on my preoperative form. Yeah. Something's wrong. Okay. Take us back to the beginning. Now give us okay. your story. And I definitely want to come back to that later. But the basically the short version of the story is I was young, healthy, super active, traveled the world, um, went everywhere. Is that me? Yeah, it's okay. Oh, it's all right. Yes. Oh, no, it'll go off forever. Yeah, turn, yeah, turn it off. That's fine. She's, she's, having, she's having a phone reaction. Oh, I'm having a terrible... My phone, <laughs> my phone never stops, so we're just going to turn that off right now. I should have done it before. How is that? that hey, we, you know what would really solve that problem, Sherry? Why don't you just get an iWatch, one of those oh, Apple watches? Oh, I'll tell watches. you why I can't wear it, and it's due to my metal allergy, but let me tell you why later. Come back to that. Sure. So anyway. That was the, a setup, because I, I know. I, you knew, you do know. I've, I've listened to all your podcasts. That's right, you have. Okay. So anyway, long story, uh, long story very short, I was health, healthy, active, traveled the world, super vibrant, super active. Um, back in 2014, I had some surgeries prior to 2014, but 2014 is really when the litany of stuff started. I had three surgeries in one year. I had a hysterectomy, I had a lumbar fusion at L5-S1, and I had a shoulder repair, biceps tenodesis, and a decompression of my AC joint, and um, starting... From that point, in 2016, I started getting really sick. I had another fusion at the end of 2015, cervical fusion, and six months after that, I had to wear a hard neck brace for six months. All my tests were normal. All my blood work was normal. Everybody's like, it's in your head. There's nothing wrong. Your your surgeries are all fine. Your your blood markers are all fine. You're fine. And I I told my husband I felt like something was eating my body. I had every symptom in the world. I got to a point where I had 30 specialists, literally a specialist for every single thing with nothing verifiable. And the really the break in the case came from, I needed every surgery I had. I got mechanically better, but I got physically worse every time. After the, after the, ne- the neck fusion and the 2014 surgeries, I had a cholecystectomy, which is a gallbladder removal, um, wound up needing both sides of my pelvis fused. I mean, I just have the worst luck in the world. So they put six pins 
uh, four months apart, on e- three on either side of my pelvis. And this was right around the time of COVID, right about 2020. Again, I got mechanically better. I could sit, I could stand, but chronic pain-wise, it's like every cell in my body was on fire. And we didn't find out until the second set was done, about six weeks after the first. I think it was six weeks. And all of a sudden, I started noticing I couldn't go outside on high pollen days because the pain was worse all over my body. I couldn't eat high histamine foods because the pain was worse all over my body. Um, I The thing that really told me is I put on jewelry that I had worn for 20 years with no issue. And I'd always had the earring thing too, but I didn't think about it. I put on jewelry I'd worn for 20 years. I broke out within seconds of putting it on and I tasted metal in my mouth. Mm. And I've always been medically kind of smart and really studious. I was going to go into medical school before I got sick. Yes, I'm a realtor, but I wanted to go become a PA and manage thyroid. That's what I wanted to do. But um, fortunately, I just knew. I just had that spiritual epiphany when I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm allergic to my hardware. Pain, histamine, pollen, you know, all the things just were histamine, 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 jewelry, what's changed? More metal. And that was exactly what it was. Then we unpacked that story. I don't know how much you want me to tell, but it wound up with me going to a Okay, it wound up with me uh, going to a doctor who was fellowship trained. She's an internal med doctor, fellowship trained in allergy, immunology, and rheumatology. I'm like, this girl's going to change my life. She's going to get it. I'm going to walk in. She's going to rubber, you know, she's going to say, yep, you're right. And there we go. Not only did that not happen, she said, I don't, she said, I don't think you have a metal allergy. You don't have any symptoms of a metal allergy. I'm going to look at this test that I brought in, which is a a blood LTT lymphocyte transformation test, which is kind of the gold standard for for, um, type 4 metal allergy. So you had already gotten that test when you went to go see her? No, I took the requisition to her with a bunch of peer-reviewed clinical research because I know a lot of doctors don't really have that on their radar. And she's like, oh, I've read most of those studies. You don't have symptoms of a metal allergy. I'll sign it because you drove two hours. But, you know, I don't... I don't know what your problem is. You're just going to have to live with it. Well, long story short, we send off the test. It comes back slam dunk off the charts. You've got a copy of it for nickel. And um, I go to my my neurosurgeon that had just done my pelvic implants. I'm just like, I just made the biggest mistake ever. I think I'm allergic to titanium. That's what I thought. I thought I was allergic to titanium. And he said, well, let's just see what the test comes back at. He looks at the nickel. and He's like, yep, you are. And let's go take out some of this hardware, you don't need it anymore. I didn't even know you could lose hardware from a fusion surgery. Short short version that started to unpack all of this is he goes in and takes out 10 of 13 pieces of my lumbar fusion hardware, which by that time I'd done some homework and I knew that the chemical composition of that hardware was about 13% metals that I was allergic to. He goes in, takes out those 10 pieces. I come out of surgery with 60% less pain in my legs right out of the OR. And I could wear jewelry again. I could eat high pollen foods again. And that's when we knew. We even have a measurement. My my blood histamine level was 3.53 prior to surgery. Um, anything over one is high, just for a frame of reference. Within eight weeks of surgery, no change in diet, medication, or outdoor pollen, anything, 0.013, lowest end of normal. So just that from removing the 10 pieces. And that's when we knew. And all my doctors were just like, mic drop. Well, because you've had so many and you were being dismissed. And you used that term gaslit because that's how you felt. I, I, 
it, there, it wasn't how I, I mean, it was happening. And, and the thing is, you know, I know, I know doctors need studies. I know doctors need peer-reviewed literature. There, there aren't enough studies, but there is peer-reviewed liter- literature. There are studies. They're just not looking at them, and they don't want to look at them, and they can't in today's, you know, current healthcare model. You get 15 minutes, and they don't want to hear. They can't hear the whole story. But what I went through was just ridiculous. My entire body was shutting. I spent a week in Zale Lipsy, you know, a spinal taps and every every kind of image and psyche valves and, you know, what a lot of the patients with metal allergies get. Is, oh, this is psychosomatic, so you know? So you, you're really downplaying your symptoms. Can you just go over how <laughs> difficult your life really was during this period? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, well, um, I couldn't eat. Couldn't go outside on high pollen days. I couldn't eat high histamine food. Um, my immune system was just so hypersensitive that everything lit me on fire. Like to the point where, you know those little um, slippers that have the like grips on the bottom of it? Mm-hmm. Well, the feet have a bunch of acupuncture points. And I'm going to sound crazy, but the feet have a bunch, bunch of acupuncture points in them. And they can cause you to detox. So I'm walking around in my house and I was in so much pain from just that extra pressure to the acupuncture points because I was so inflamed. It was inflammation everywhere. You cannot imagine. I used to just say, if somebody could step into my body for five minutes, you'd cry because you cannot imagine a body can hold this much pain. We're not talking pain in a knuckle or a leg. We're talking pain from head to toe in every cell of the body. It was suicidal pain. I'm lucky I lived. To the point that you had to lie down most of the time? Well, yeah. So I lay down um, all but maybe 30 minutes of every day. I could take maybe 20 steps, I mean, five steps to the bathroom and back, maybe 20 times a day. Um, I was driven around laying down, not kidding, on the floor of a car for two years. The first time I sat up and could see the wildflowers, I cried because I would... And I worked during this time because I just don't give up. I was just, I needed something to live for. My husband, bless his heart, we call him St. Walter. I would walk out to the car. I would lay down on the floor of the car. They would take me to show a property. I would get out. I could walk into the house, open the door, maybe take a few steps and go back out and lay down in the car. I went to my doctor for a lot of IV therapies and different things. And we carried, I had this sweet lady because my husband just couldn't take off any more work who would take this take this reclining chair in, we called it my throne, to the doctor's office. I couldn't sit or stand. So I would lay on my throne in the doctor's office receiving IV therapies and and different therapies for months. So, I mean, it was absolutely hellacious. I had, I've, I had psych issues, no, no prior psych history. It just, it just basically caused, there's a list of 50 symptoms and those are just the ones we know about. And I had all but... You know, the symptom list is on my website, but I had all but five of the symptoms, legitimately, all but five. So when you're going through something like that, it's it's almost easier to describe the physical limitations, the things that you couldn't do, the tolerances that you had, like you said, for maybe 30 minutes a day that you weren't on your back to take the pressure off so that you weren't in complete pain. But what did it do to friends and family that you were close to? What was it like? You you persisted to work, but what was it like to to know that you're navigating now a much larger circle just to get this small task done to maintain, like you said, something to live for? What was that like? Well, you'll make me cry because I don't I don't think about it and talk about it very often. It's really traumatic, and nobody that's gone through what I've gone through comes out of this without PTSD, medical PTSD, friend PTSD. You find out who your friends are. 
Because if they ask you, what's the first thing you ask everybody? How are you? Don't ask me. Don't ask me how I am. Say what's going well. Because if you ask me how I am, you're going to get the list. And nobody wants to hear the list. They can hear it for five minutes to be polite, but they don't really care. I mean, that's the thing. Most people are busy. Most people have their own life. There are people that care, but nobody has time for something that takes that kind of emotional and physical investment. I couldn't find anybody to help me. I sat there. I'm a member of a great congregation at church. Two people came and saw me in like three years. Two people. I used to go to church, and just just to give you kind of more of the picture, I don't think I even talked about this in my podcast. I would go to church every Sunday. It was all I could do to walk in. I laid down on the pew during church because I couldn't sit and I couldn't stand for years. It's humiliating. I've laid down in airports. I've laid down in doctor's offices. I've laid down, you know, I would have to go in to get my blood drawn and lay down in the hallway if I couldn't take another few steps. So, I mean, I, you just lose your... I don't know, you lose your ability to be self-conscious, I guess. Did you feel like you weren't being taken seriously whenever you tried to describe? I still have people that don't take me seriously because it's unbelievable. I probably wouldn't have taken me seriously. It's unbelievable to have that many body systems affected and shutting down. And it's just like I was dying. And, And the thing is, it's not just me. This is happening to people all over. Well, that's what kind of has my my mind wondering about what your struggle is like socially, because by the time, and I think that Ken's story is similar, but by the time that we see patients who have had something like fibromyalgia or something similar or unresolved IBS for a really long time, more often than not, they say that that's what their present diagnosis is. But they always seem to insinuate it's related to something else. I'm just saying this because we don't know what's causing it. And they head to toe pain if it's fibromyalgia or chronic gut issues that just lead to complete fatigue and brain fog if it happens to be related to IBS. So I think that we've seen multiple times people in this desperation mode and you're you're watching their satisfaction with them, their family, their lives, whatever it is, kind of be peeled away. And it's more often than not, it's not their fault. And they're just labeled as they don't know what they're talking about. Well, Francis Scott, you know, national news, national network news anchor Mm -hmm. was accused of being a drug addict, was accused of being, you know, faking it, was accused of just wanting the attention. She went from an upper middle class lifestyle to living pretty much in abject poverty. She lost everything and she is still very much alone. And I, you know, I will say um, what saved my life, and, and I got really lucky, is social media and Facebook. There were groups on Facebook that specialize in surgical clips or the low nickel diet or, you know, this, this thyroid disease or you name any kind of special interest medical group. They're on Facebook, and there are some flipping brilliant people in these groups that if I hadn't have been in some of these groups, I wouldn't have known about a lymphocyte transformation test. I wouldn't have known about this doctor who removes clips and staples. I wouldn't have known about this kind of test I needed or that kind of test. I made friends there, true friends. So for all the bad rap that social media gets and screen time, when you're laying there and you can't move, you're on your screen all day, every day, because it's the only thing keeping you alive. Well, I think that's really interesting because you did mention that before that you, you've met some really good people through that. And 
it's funny when you when you listen to a podcast like yours where it's just this story and you just bring people on that just have similar stories or I should take that back. They have very unique experiences with the same underlying problem, which is another issue because as a physician and we're in medical school, you know, it's a, we need to have that unifying diagnosis and that unifying, di the Occam's razor has to yes. be these 10 symptoms. If you don't have that, then you don't have what I'm thinking, therefore, and so on and so on. But I have many patients that are super intelligent, like, you know, like they, you had the guy on that was the engineer that, yeah. um, you know, that had Dana. the, the that had the paralysis thing. That guy, you know, he has an engineering type mind. He's going to keep thinking about it. I have patients that are former attorneys and due to sequence of events, they just end up having, um, I'm looking at this list, unique things where we keep labeling them. We keep saying, oh, well now you just have dysautonomia. And it looks like you have POTS also. And of course, you've got irritable bowel and you've got fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and all this stuff. I don't know what turned that on, but I've sat with them and said that it's something with your immune system. Everything comes down to the immune system. Yes. And when I uh, was preparing for you today, I sent two portal messages to two people that they've said it and it never clicked. This all started after X surgery. I just went, I, that just doesn't make any sense. You needed the surgery. I don't understand why you would have these issues. And so one of the things is that uh, I encourage everybody to go to Sherry's website because the symptoms can be so broad. And what I've also heard and what I've learned a little bit is the way that you were describing it, it's a tipping point. Mm -hmm. It's you a can, bucket. Your, your body can tolerate a little bit. And then when that bucket tips, no matter what pushes it over then it is just this cascade of inflammation mm -hmm. that can lead to all kinds of things. Right. And we, we can talk, I want to get into the science of it also, but your story is so compelling and that's the biggest thing. I mean, the Gut Check Project, we always say, it, check your ego at the door because, I mean, I'm learning all the time. I've been, I've been a practicing gastroenterologist for over 20 years and I'm sitting here going, huh, well, that one seems to have slipped by in defense of my surgical friends and everybody. The people, we'll start with this, the people telling them what clips to use, the people showing up and doing this, and it's like, this is our, this is who we're using. It's titanium. It's, there's, you can't react to it. It's surgical stainless steel. They use these terms. It's inert. It's inert. <laughs> You're not going to have any issues. And in defense of the people, the, the device rep, yes. they're being told that. Yes. So it's this sequence of things. Well, yeah, well, they were told that. Certainly the device company wouldn't say anything like that. That doesn't make any sense all at right. all. So I had a little fun today, chat GPTing a bunch of things that we use. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Let's it turns it. out, well, fortunately, I don't leave things in people. Yes. I heard that your husband probably had a Bravo he capsule did. for a, you know, and that one falls off after a little bit. He did have a reaction. Very rarely I'll have to clip something that it's bleeding, but fortunately the gastrointestinal tract turns over in a very short period of time. So it'll slough it off right away. But so I don't, that's strictly for my own guilt if I've been hurting somebody. <laughs> am, am, I allowed to ask, am I allowed to ask a question? Yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah, I'm dying to know this. So just just like in, in clinical experience, you're a practicing gastroenterologist. How many patients do you have that come into you that have had a cholecystectomy or, or something else that may have these clips and a history of metal out? Is it ever been on your radar that people could react, be reacting to these clips, either, either clips or 
or just metal, specifically nickel or other metals in the diet can cause this massive IBS. Is that been even on your radar? Never. Mm-hmm. Never. You asked me metal allergy, and I'm going to tell you what I learned in medical school. Oh, it can cause a local dermatitis on the skin because that's the reaction that mm-hmm. takes place. And then you start thinking, well, wait a minute. I deal with food sensitivities. I deal with systemic complications from somebody that has celiac disease. Why can't something that would just cause a slight rash on the skin create this inflammatory response in the body? And then let's get back to the clips. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've sent. Now, personally, I've always found that people get sent to gallbladder removals a little earlier than I think they should. Like, yeah. like I always tell people, I'm like, it sounds like a gallbladder, but once we take it out, it's done. So let's just yeah. make sure nothing else is going on. And the story of the young woman from Tennessee that had the clips and had that reaction, now it makes sense. But I know the surgeons don't have... I know that they're not thinking that there's something that there's a potential with this, but everyone should begin to think you're, you do anesthesia. You yeah. ask people if they cross react to certain foods yeah. before you give certain drugs. You know, what's kind of strange is how many times people will, will put on their allergy. Sorry, I went to the dentist today, so I'm slurring a little bit of my words, but anyway. <laughs> Actually, you're not at all. It no, feels you, like I No, am. you're good. No, you're doing good. Uh, I don't uh, think you need a tongue to talk. <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> So uh, they'll put nickel often on the allergy list. And only on rare occasion do I even ask them why they wrote that. Most of the time they're like, yeah, it's nickel. I reacted to it, something like that. But they dismiss it even themselves. But we never, even as many times as I ask questions, I've never really gotten into why did someone get tested for a nickel allergy. And it's kind of weird, especially when we were... I was kind of compelled to go and look, how is it that metal is even causing this and, as I alluded to earlier, causing this antigen reaction? It's not mm. like it's not like other things, no, like, no. like proteins. So, or, yeah, you explain what you got, and I'll tell you what I read. Okay, so it's, so it's a type 4 delayed hypersensitivity reaction. It's antigen-driven. And, you know, coming with that is a whole host of, like, it predisposes you to... Um, to autoimmune diseases, and it predisposes you to to chronic infections. Like I had Lyme and six different co-infections because my immune system was so riled up. But I think the reason that I don't know how much doctors are taught about type four metal allergies in school. Are you taught type four metal when allergies do or type our, four allergies? Yes, when we do our boards, it's going to be on the boards when they tell you, you know, learn type one through four. You take Reactions. the test and then you go get your you license and you're done. And then you move on. And you, you never do see that. it again. Yes. So, so, and and the, the hard thing about pegging this is it's a delayed hypersensitivity reaction. So, for people that have had implanted hardware, the reactions sometimes don't show up for six months to a year. Well, let's explain that even a little bit more because then it'll make more sense with what the Melisa test is. Okay, it may need you to Eric explain and, well, it more. <laughs> Early on when the pandemic hit, Eric and I did a whole whiteboard on the uh, innate and adaptive immune response because this happens with everything. So if you have an antigen presenting cell, a dendrite grabs the nickel and it brings it in and the nickel, this is what was interesting. This is what Eric, because I was like, wait, this doesn't make sense. I always thought an antigen had to be a protein, but you discovered something really interesting. Yeah, so what metal is doing, uh, theoretically, at least how the MELISA test explains it, is that metal is forming 
an unnatural bond with the sulfide group on an otherwise normally placed cell's protein. So a normal cell in your body has a, we all have proteins all over these cells, and then there's a protein that's extended out and it has a sulfide group. Well, this metal is forming a bond with it, and it literally changes the shape of the cell. So all of the scavengers moving throughout the body looking for foreign bodies think that this new, this, this new shape of your cell or your enzymes is actually an invader. It mm-hmm. begins to attack it. And, of course, this, this turns into a cascade of, of an inflamed response. Mm-hmm. So the, it binds to a protein. The antigen-presenting cell takes it, hands it to a T helper cell. T helper cell goes, this doesn't look right. We should probably prepare to go to war with this mm. if it ever comes back. Hands it to a T memory cell. The T memory cell chills out, gets a bunch of his buddies, teaches them all what it is, and hopefully... If you ever get infected with an infection, then you mount a response immediately and you go after it. Problem is, if you put this thing in your neck and it starts leaching it out on the regular, then those T uh, memory cells release cytokines and it starts that whole inflammatory cascade. But it's always going. It's never getting rid of the thing. And that makes so much more sense as to a delayed reaction, the tipping point. You have just enough to turn on those cells. So basically, it's this reserve army. And if they get enough of a signal, then they all come out. And then they all release their cytokines. And now you've got this complete turn on and you can't turn off, which is why you're saying, I had, even though you have more metal in you, you had some of it removed. So that just enough of that load decreased and calmed down those soldiers, those memory soldiers, and they're able to, that's why you felt better immediately. Well, that, and that's a good point. I mean, so, so many of the metal allergic patients focus on, we've got to get, you know, all the metal out of our body. It shouldn't be in there. It's all got to come out. Guys, I have so much metal still in my body. I'm I'm a walking testimony. You don't need it all out to regain a good quality of life. Your body's intelligent. It's made, it, you know, it's built to heal if we give it the right things. There's a lot you can do with limbic system retraining to retrain yourself out of the chronic inflammatory response. That's a whole other episode. But you know, it's um, it it doesn't all have to come out. I've got metal that'll never come out. It's good to get out what you can, but you don't have to get it all out to have good quality of life. And even if you get something like my Coley clips, I've got some big metal still in me. My Coley clips, you would think taking out three little clips that are this big, it wouldn't have made any difference. It didn't ride out of surgery, but six months later, the results were undeniable. So did you, you have those removed? Oh yeah. Yeah, and you. How did they do that? Because that's a that's a difficult surgery. It's not really. No, you're gonna love it. Surgeons so, would argue. I mean, you just don't. You tell somebody, hey, can you take those clips out? I'm worried. Dude, yeah. I person has. I did so, it to some friends the other day. So you you just took some Coley clips out. We were we weren't we were bored. You were having some barbecue. (laughs) Pardon this brief interruption to say thank you for listening to the Gut Check Project, also known as GCP. Please give us a follow and thumbs up on Rumble and share this episode with your friends. Last but not least, you can participate in our shows directly by visiting gutcheckproject.com and clicking on the GCP Raw Circle. Use code HERO for a free month. 
When you join GCP Raw, you can submit questions to upcoming guests, participate in monthly GCP Grand Rounds, access to exclusive deals, listen to the shows with no ads, participate in live call-ins, plus exclusive content to those that support the show. So visit gutcheckproject.com, click the GCP Raw circle, use code HERO, and your first month is free on us. Now let's get back to the show. So nine, ti- nine, nine surgeons out of 10, you go to them, they say it's dangerous to remove them, you can't remove them, they can't come out. They're in, they can't come out. We're going to change the medical narrative on this. In four weeks, I've got a surgeon from McKinney, Texas, who re- removes clips and staples repeatedly. Really? He did a whole episode. It's epic. You're going to love the What's episode. What's his name? I'm not. Oh. Well, I, I don't know if I, mean, I can. I'll use him. Uh, yeah, well, uh, so it's and he's, her name. He's, her name. I no, it's, say him, it's him, and he's actually he's actually out at himself. So I guess it's not a big deal. But uh, Doctor Chris Cottrell at okay. Advanced Surgical in McKinney. Cool. Um, he's a he's a he specializes in reflux. He's got a huge TikTok following. Specializes in reflux. Reflux does some bariatric surgery. Um, these robotic surgeons, these surgeons who use do surgery with the robots, he said literally you go in, you clear, you clear away some of the scar tissue. You got to be careful with some of the delicate areas, like they don't want to do something that's going to bleed. There are some areas they don't want to go in and remove clips and staples. But he's like, you take away this, like from Coley clips, you just remove the scar tissue, and they just pop right out. Hmm. So I I think this is. Part of the narrative that needs to change. Yeah. Yes, they can come out. But the sad thing is now we're going to have a bunch of people running to their doctor saying, I want my clips out. I want my staples out. Actually, it was really interesting. So you'll find this story interesting. I didn't tell this anywhere on the podcast. I have a friend, a metal allergic patient who had pelvic pain for decades. She had been to gynecologist, 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 radiologist. She had every every test in the world. And they said, you don't have clips. You don't have staples. Well, now she's fighting lymphoma. She went to some liver transplant person. I don't, in the course of her medical care. And he's like, what do you mean you don't have clips? There's one right here on this this venogram or something. Long story short, she winds up connecting with doctor, uh, with, with a doctor. And um, he um, removes 130 staples and six clips from her abdomen. That were never seen on an x-ray? Three radiologists, three gynecologists. No clips, no staples. He removed 130, and all of her pelvic pain went away the minute she woke up. Gone. So, I mean, this is what's happening. And the sad thing is these pa- these doctors, these patients will go to doctors, say they want it out, and the doctors are saying, can't come out, can't happen. Metal allergies aren't real. Systemic metal allergies aren't real. And I think that's that's the thing that's also hard for doctors to get. It's not a type 1 contact allergy. It's all over the body. So like somebody that has coliclips and maybe let's say nothing else, maybe gets this rash on their, you know, this rash on their leg. It's, it comes from this. And because it's removed, nobody makes the connection. But sure enough, they get the clips out, the rash goes away. It's story after story after story. But And then it makes sense what, how you discovered a Facebook group, the low nickel diet and why that helps and why when if there's a histamine or something that could trigger your histamines, it's just that bucket. It just keeps pushing you over and then it dumps and it turns it on. Mm-hmm. That also makes sense. And that's interesting. Sorry to interrupt, but that's also interesting because a lot of times when we look for food allergies, yes, it's strictly a type 1 IgE mediated reaction because yes. that's what LabCorp, you know, the duopoly LabCorp and Quest offer. Right. So... It's interesting because we start talking type four reactions, 
where it's delayed and it's a matter of how much you're being exposed. Well, and let me sa- let me save your listeners a lot of money on testing. <laughs> this is this is just my own the the uh, gospel according to Sherry here with metal allergies. You want to know if somebody's allergic to nickel? Go have them eat a couple of handfuls of cashews. Ask them to tell you how they feel six hours or the next day. Ask them what happens to their pain and their symptoms. If they come back and like, Doc, I can't move. I'm so stove up. My nose is running. Boom, you know. Interesting. Okay. Right. Yeah. All of my food allergies with test. nickel, all of my food allergies with nickel show up six hours to the next day. They hmm. they do not show up early. Isn't that nuts? That is really wild. So it's really, really hard to put it together. But like on the low nickel diet group, you will get people with dyshydrotic eczema. I mean, bad eczema. They've been to every allergist and immunologist and whatever and literally can't find a cause of their symptoms. They take, they, oh yeah, I've had a jewelry reaction. I just stumbled on this group. They take all the high nickel foods out, which consequently are almost everything on the paleo diet. All the stuff they tell you to eat when you're trying to help your inflammation. Nuts, leafy greens, seeds, um, um, beans, brown rice, gluten-free grains. How many patients with inflammation do you tell to go gluten-free? Somebody with a nickel allergy, that list is going to put them in bed. For real. And I didn't even know this until I was almost at the end of my journey. But sure enough, I had I had, had this undeniable reaction that you couldn't imagine. Coconut. Okay, coconut water is good for you. Coconut oil. Do oil pulling. Do all the coconut things, right? Because that's super paleo, super good for you. All of a sudden, literally overnight one time... Couldn't eat coconut. Just had this huge, massive oral reaction. I've been eating coconut my whole life. It was when the bucket was full, but I didn't find out that coconut was super high in nickel until like way later. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's why I was reacting to coconut. Well, also considering that nickel's in the soil, you could have varying amounts of nickel in in the same thing that you eat, depending where it's from. Yes. So the Rebolitics diet, which is a low nickel diet that people can go on, they actually classify food by, I think it's mic- micrograms. You know, you can have so many micrograms of nickel. We never get all the nickel out of the diet or the environment, period. Par- paragraph won't happen. But you can have a certain amount. I think they, they think it's between like 150 micrograms a day or something. But they classify it based on where it's grown. So like, you know, raspberries from Mexico. Mexico versus raspberries from Idaho might have a completely different nickel yeah, content. Fascinating. So it is. It is a <laughs> to, to quote one of your earlier guests. It's a you know a, a self a self ex, a, a, your own medical experiment. You know. Yeah. You, you you just have to do your own medical experiments with it. But I think you know the thing. Going back, what what I wish we could just hand. I mean, doctors like you are, and and anesthesiologists like you are like you're gold. You're gold to the communities like this because you can think outside the box and you can consider that you don't know everything. That is really not most doctors and most surgeons. And I, I hate that because we want to team with our medical professionals. I'll take it one step further. Some of these people I've been discussing earlier when you said in the Facebook groups, yeah, they're in these Facebook groups. I know how intelligent they are. I know their degrees. They come in and make appointments. I take notes. I'm like, all right, explain to me what's going on now because I don't have the time to do that. Yeah, And they do, and they're relying on other people because of the internet now. Just because you don't have a medical background doesn't mean that you can't learn yeah. what's good for you hey, and, and, doctor, and help your doctor help you. And Dr. Google and Dr. Chat GPT, I mean, are there's some really good stuff there. I mean, how many, truthfully, how many doctors really go Google something? It happens all the time, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> I mean, we sign. I mean, we sign up for things called up to date, and you sign up for programs so that you're always reviewing because you don't know everything. And now that it's all out there, 
I think that uh, Googling is, when, when I first started practice, the internet was, you know, kind of in its infancy and people would Google and there would be doctors that would put signs up, you know, my medical degree is more important than your good Dr. Google, whatever. Well, now that's completely shifted because it's changed so much Maybe. medicine medicine and everything, and everyone can be somewhat educated, and it's made my job so much easier because now I can sit here and we can have a borderline medical discussion because you've been doing your homework, and you come in, and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm really glad that you were talking about your type 4 hypersensitivity reaction. Let's look at what's actually happening and why it makes sense that when you had the coconut, it pushed you over because these lymphocytes got mobilized. Oh, now we're having the same discussion. So it's, I think it's kind of, it's, and it's going to continue to evolve that way. But you are gold. I mean, can we just, can we clone you guys? I mean, for real, for real, every doctor should be like this and they're not. I mean, I've got, I go to, I go to church with a gal who manages, I'm not going to out her name. We've been button heads for months now. She manages a surgical center. My own brother, sorry, I'm throwing him under the bus too. He manages a surgical center. How easy would it be to implement the screening in the pre-op process? Have you ever had a metal or jewelry allergy reaction? I've had 30-something surgeries and countless number of procedures. I've been to one facility that asked if we've ever had a prior metal reaction. Why is this hard? It's hard because I probably have a thousand patients that are going to listen to this and go, I've been telling you for five years. I'm like, I know, I'm learning also, all right? It's new to me. And now you're gonna have all of my guests flying into Texas to come see a gastroenterologist who will tell them they're not crazy that they're reacting to their clips. That's the one thing is that I've tried, when you talk about fibromyalgia and irritable bowel, I tell my patients, I'm like, I don't like using those diagnostic codes because that's a trash can term. That means we're gonna quit thinking. Yep. Let's at least quit, you know, I'm gonna keep thinking. I don't, I don't wanna label you, I don't know what you have, I'm trying, but and now and I go back and pay all my doctors to tell them what happened. I take a paid visit where I can sit down and say, I don't need anything from you, but I need you to listen to me. And that's that's the way the story gets told. I mean, I think did you hear about my my son's little thing from blacksmithing? Did I tell yes. you about that? He had, Go ahead got, and say got that, a piece yeah. of metal in his hand. Your adopted son. My which adopted is son. Yes, my adopted son. Uh, actually, it's 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 its own story, but he is he's had allergies his whole life. Projectile vomited from the time he was a babe in arms. I mean, we never figured it out. He's, I have a great allergist; she's wonderful. I haven't gone back to report to her yet, but he had allergy shots. We thought we always knew it was something about soy. Sometimes he tested positive to soy. Sometimes he didn't, which was really crazy. Um, but he had the allergy shots. He would throw up like sixty percent of the time. He ate. He had endoscopies. He had you know the the whole GI series. Never figured it out. Long story short, goes on a canoe trip with the scouts. He winds up with Lyme disease, totally separate from my Lyme disease. He had 10 tick bites, comes back with Lyme disease. And, and when he had Lyme disease, this scar from when he was blacksmithing, had a piece of metal in it, healed up years ago, completely healed, um, welted up in this big, huge boil. We had to go have cryo done on it to freeze it off. The PA, bless her heart, she's really open-minded. She's kind of like you and she considers outside the box, but we had no idea why this thing that had been healed for all these years just opened up. Long story short, you've heard of my surgeon friend, Dr. Scott Schroeder lectures surgeons all over on metal allergies. He's a surgeon himself. Um, basically, we were out to dinner and I said, what's your, what's your you know, craziest food? He said, soy. I can tell within seconds when I eat soy I, it, that I'm going to react to it. And I'm like, 
oh my gosh, I've only heard one person say that in my entire life, it's my son. So I go home and tell my son, take all the nickel containing foods out of your diet. Sometimes he thinks mom's crazy because he watched me go through all the things. He takes all the stuff out of his diet. And he's like, mom, I didn't have lettuce in my chipotle burrito and I didn't throw up. Like that's where it started. Then he, now he's distanced from me, he's away in college. And he, he sends an, uh, I said, he said, I can eat cashews. And I'm like, okay, so go eat a couple of handfuls of cashews. Tell me what happens six hours later the next day. I get a three word email from him. Cashews equals bad. Wow. He reacted, he was sick for a week. Turns out he's got a nickel allergy. And all of a sudden this made sense. This was metal reacting when the hyper, you know, presensitized from the, you know, from the from the nickel reactivity. And since he's taken nickel out of his diet, he doesn't throw up anymore. And it was just gone. And then now with my husband, and, and, and so it's interesting, you know, they say it's rare, but rare. So 15, 15 to 20% of the population could be allergic to nickel. Of that, I think it's 3% that have life-changing allergies to diet, you know, reactions to, to diet and inflammation and things like that. But if you think of 100 people, that's three in 100 people. How rare is that? How many patients do you see in a week, 100? I mean, that's what we're saying. If you have anything that's 15 to 20%, you're asking. Yeah. Or you even 3%. Per, I mean, take it to the 3% if you yeah. really want to drill it down. Okay, 15% are nickel. Only 3% might react to diet or hardware. But it's three out of 100. I don't think that's that rare. So with that kind of, uh, I, and I agree with you, that's not rare. That's really not rare at all. Um, beyond eating, or I'm sorry, beyond having implants, you could also think about the different sources of where people get metal. And I, I'd written these down, and I like the fact that you brought up that your son does blacksmithing. So obviously, there could be an opportunity for someone to develop a sensitivity whenever they have an occupation that's around metal. You could also get it from dental, from having either braces or fillings in your mouth for a long time, and you've already covered implants. There's medicine. So certain medicines have um, uh, metals in them. There's cosmetics, certain food, which you've already talked about with the nickel, the low nickel allergy. Vaccines, I thought this was interesting once we started talking about, um, <laughs> we were looking at how metal causes the, um, the reaction uh, long-term in somebody to, to develop a sensitivity because they specifically use aluminum and mercury in vaccines as an adjuvant yeah. to make the body react to the fractionated um, protein particles of, you know, whenever they attenuate the virus to, to throw it in there so that the body develops a reaction to this dead virus. Yeah. So it begins to recognize it. And then another thing that some may not recognize is you can get metal from smoking. Mm -hmm. Nickel, lead, cadmium, arsenic, all of those are being inhaled whenever someone smokes cigarettes. So, that, what about vaping? Ooh, wood burning fireplaces. Yeah. And let me blow your mind non metallic zirconian dental implants, mm -hmm. metal free, have trace metals. The FDA doesn't require them to list trace metals. I rejected a metal free implant because it had trace metals in it. Mm. That's wild. Well, you know, it, Ken, it, Ken was talking about uh, the, the clips that you had in GI. They are covered in titanium, but explain what how that turns into a nickel problem. Oh, so let's get into that. Because if I'm, if a doctor's listening to this and they're sitting here going, well, no, 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 no. Titanium's completely inert. So first you saw of my, all. You saw my inert tendon anchor, right? Did I you did see that? Not. Oh, uh -uh. it's can can we can we show pictures on the podcast? We can we, we can pull this out. Yeah, in fact, you know what we'll do is we'll put them 
on the show notes because yeah. it's going to be hard to see like this. But oh, you, you you can see them because they're the big. No, anchor? no, no. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Here, I'll, I'll let you it. find it. I'll find it. So we were talking about titanium, but then even if titanium starts to erode a little bit, then the titanium ions can be very reactive, specifically to neurogenic issues, and can actually form the titanium dioxide, which is which can be very neurotoxic. And patients can be allergic to titanium. Yes, they can. How and many they doctors can also be don't to say that you can be allergic to titanium? And the other thing is, titanium is always alloyed with other metals. I don't know if doctors are taught this in medical school. It's all it's too soft to use by itself. Even titanium has small amounts of nickel or vanadium in it. Always. Did you this know is, that? I'm not, you know, bashing my field in any way, but this is what we're taught. That's an inert titanium tendon anchor. Ooh. So she's showing a, which would, it's a blown up picture, but it's a tiny little anchor that we wouldn't think anything, but it is corroded. It looks like it's almost got rust on it. It's been, your body's been reacting to it. If it was inert, it would look, Clean. Yeah. Now let me blow your mind. I took that to the doctor. I asked the PA because I did the follow-up with the PA. What does the doctor think of all the corrosion on the tendon acre? That's not corrosion. Mm. The So when you say what you were taught in medical school, what I'm taught in medical school is you learn the physiology, the pathophysiology, and then how to correct it. When somebody shows up and says, this is the joint that we're going to put in. It is a titanium alloy of the highest grade, NASA, da-da-da-da-da, the company that makes this. It is completely inert, and here's what we're going to do is we're going to show you how to put it in. So you're trusting. Same thing when somebody shows up with a drug. says, this is the newest drug to fix X, Y, Z. The studies have shown that da-da-da-da-da, this is that. Feels safe to give it to your patients. You're going to sit there. The COVID vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) Did I say that? There's, and there's all different kinds of examples, but the bandwidth is only so much, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need a, a what the F moment so you just wake up and go, oh, okay. And then, oh, uh, titanium is remarkably uh, conductive. Oh, so, yeah, the galvanic stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you've got this electrical conductivity where some people, now it makes sense that if it's really close to a nerve and you can actually do that, you can actually stimulate a conductivity in the nerve and generate tremendous amount of pain just because it in itself is a conductive thing. I could take a TENS unit that has a battery pack here that, that puts the electrical um, you know, impulses there and make Eric's arm completely contract immediately. So if you've got something inside, just doing a little bit, just a little bit of conductivity. Well, and the crazy thing, so you, like you haven't told your listeners yet, but if you have some metal like dental implants with a positive charge, metal from cold clips with a negative charge, it creates a measurable current between the two. It's called a galvanic current. It can speed up implant degradation. But here's the here's a I'm a I know. Did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that part on the podcast? I did, but I was really, I was, okay. I was kind of binge listening to all of them. Okay, Doc, <laughs> let, let, me, let, me just, let me just line this out for you. Dr. Scott Schroeder did an in vivo study with a patient where he was going to remove some foot and ankle hardware in the OR. So he takes a voltmeter, he puts a probe in the mouth on the, on the dental filling, puts a probe on the metal hardware, he's got the skin open, sterile, done sterile in the OR, puts the probe on the ankle, and then takes a measurement then removes that piece of hardware, remeasures. There was a drop in 200 millivolts before and after removing the hardware. So there's he's currently doing a galvanic study right now. Um, it, it, like I said, it speeds up 
corrosion. But here's the crazy thing. So I always felt like I was plugged into a light socket if I was around magnetic EMFs. Um, and I, I'm not, I never had a problem ever. But so we figured out that I always felt like I had electricity running through my body. I called it surging because I didn't know what else to, do, to, to call it. Anytime I go for physical therapy, they couldn't do e-stim on me. They could never do an EMG, which is that you know nerve conduction study, because they barely turn it on and I'm coming off the table. I'm coming off the table because I got so much electric current running through my body already that it was like electric, trying to electrocute me. It was that bad. That's It all made sense once we figured out the metal diagnosis. Hey, is hey. that why you're not wearing an eye watch? <laughs> hey, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I had the best Apple Watch, you guys. I love my Apple Watch. and it Is held... that what they're called? I'm an Android user, so I call yes, them No, I... they're called an Apple Watch, <laughs> and they have watch. the... <laughs> They have this. Um, they have this great silicone band where you can actually put a a nice medical ID on it without touching your skin. Anyway, I love my Apple Watch. All of a sudden, I started feeling like I was plugged into a light socket. It's the magnetic battery from the Apple Watch. Took wow. the Apple Watch off. All the symptoms are gone within hours. Isn't that just? I mean, our body is this ecosystem, right? You talk about mm. the gut microbiome. Talk about the ecosystem and the body. Because I find out if I'm hydrated. I'm less EMF sensitive. So there's something with the current and hydration as well. So we want to give actual items, but I'm so glad you brought this up because that's my field of research, the microbiome mm -hmm. and all that. And we know that inflammation can cause dysbiosis and dysbiosis can cause inflammation. So once you have this inflammatory process, best I could tell, it was very difficult to find studies where people have had a metal allergy and then they actually evaluated the microbiome. But I would venture to say that as you are progressing in your disease, your microbiome becomes more dysbiotic, meaning more oh. narrow, and your ability to fight the inflammation, in other words, your ability to even decrease the amount of histamine yes. is being degraded, so your diamine oxidase enzyme goes down. Yes. You do not have these um, anti-inflammatory systemic molecules like butyrate, short-chain fatty acids, are no longer being produced. So you have this inflammatory response messing with your microbiome, your microbiome's not able to help you out, and then it just becomes this unchecked inflammatory cascade. So that would be a very fascinating thing. You know, we've got our, our spore-based biotic, Atrontil Pro, is where I'm seeing tremendous improvement in inflammatory markers in people, and it's probably due to the polyphenol effect, but probably due to improving the microbial diversity as well. Well, and it stinks, you know, for somebody like me, I'm still, I'm still, I'm on the other side of the really strong acute symptoms, but my gut, I wager to tell you it's a wreck. I've never had a, a, an allergy. I, I don't have a moody stomach. I never did until I got this and I was down. I'm getting more foods back, but there's so many supplements I can't take because the nausea and the upset stomach just from... I guess the wreckage that's left in my gut. I honestly don't know how to rebuild it. Interesting. I just like Dr. Schroeder did one ionic galvanized patient. We'll do one. I'll give you some Atrontil Pro and see how you respond to yeah. it. And I'd be curious to I'm know. I'm super curious. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're the guy to do that study. I mean, I have researchers that have guinea pigs that can, well, you know, they, help. There's a study I found about an hour before you arrived here today, and I showed it to Ken, and it talked about how an improved uh, microbiome actually enables the body to fight off, uh, and they were only studying mercury at the time, mm -hmm. but to fight off mercury poisoning and to allow the body to um, effectively degrade mercury so that it was safe and then could be expelled, which 
obviously mercury can be, can be quite a problem, but uh, it was interesting to see that what disruption can occur from metal allergy and metal sensitivity to the gut microbiome, and then inversely, in order to restore, you have to regenerate this microbiome in order to process. Right, and something else that I was going to ask you, and you may have already come across this, I haven't had time to watch all of your podcasts yet, but you know, something that I'm just starting to delve into, I. Do we need to talk over the thunder? <laughs> Somebody's weighing in up there. Um, I think I, it's I think it's because you mentioned the vaccine. It, yeah, it you is. Know, the FDA is like this thunder <laughs> warning. Yes, if, if we mysteriously die, none of us are suicidal. We're all healthy. Uh, we, we mysteriously are left. Uh, anyway, but no, um, parasites and heavy metals. So mm. parasites feed off of heavy metals. And there is a gal who I can make the connection for you guys. I mean, you talk about gut stuff. She cured all of her chronic symptoms by hand by getting rid of parasites. We worm dogs. We worm everything and everything on the planet except people. Why don't we worm people? And parasites and heavy metals go hand in hand. Hmm. So there's a whole Did parasite metal connection that I'm just now diving into. But talk about gut dysbiosis, parasites. I mean. I think it goes beyond ivermectin. <laughs> yeah, parasites are another thing where we just, in the United States, it is just, we don't have good tests. And because we don't have good tests, it's hard to do that. And it's much like Lyme. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's right there. You know, there are some experts. It's my bandwidth is still... Oh, well, like she's we the only... one you need to talk to. Believe me. she. I mean, she she passed 20, 22-foot tapeworms. I mean, it's like she's got the good. She's an herbalist, and she's amazing. And she knows she has a free parasite course, so definitely something to get on. Where where would someone start if they were to? Obviously, they can go through and they can look through the litany of all of the different symptoms yeah. that we mentioned earlier. Obviously, I would personally, I would say start with the heavily metal podcast. Listen to mm -hmm. your full story in episode one and two, and then you're gonna you're gonna become addicted, just like Ken and I did to to finishing your where where you are when we're up to date, which is awesome. So. Where would someone go, though, once they recognize that it's something they need to investigate for themselves? What's the first thing they should do and then kind of Well, here's the really cool thing, and, and you could tell me what I'm allowed to say and not allowed to be, say. Be but anything you want. You can go to the Heavily Metal podcast. I, I do say, listen to that so you even have an idea where you can start to look for metals and putting out the fire in your life. But we, um, they sign up for the email list on heavilymetal.com. We send a free symptom checklist, a symptom checklist and a roadmap, an abbreviated roadmap of what's next. Nice. And going to be coming out with probably a course on what to do next, because there's no way, like I said, I'm the only person really talking about this on a public forum. And I, someday I might do some coaching, but I'm not there yet. But this course will be available probably within the next few weeks. That's great. To to podcast listeners. And it, and it, the, the goal is to tell them where to go. You don't have to go with me, but at least you need a roadmap. I'm glad that you're building a roadmap. And I, and I asked that question not knowing that you had that, <clears throat> that you were going to share with everyone. But um, I noticed even when I went to Malaysia and I learned about them from you. Mm -hmm. that, and that's that's a, a metal uh, testing assay uh, to see if you have an allergy to it but or a reaction. But um, even on their own website, they were able, able to delineate that in instances such as titanium where – some have relied upon patch testing yes. that they can they can be told that they did not react to titanium, but titanium doesn't isn't effective to be tested through the skin 
Anyhow. Yeah, I think the Mayo Clinic, uh, Dr. Schroeder provided this information on one of the episodes. The Mayo Clinic did a did patch testing for titanium allergies on thousands of people. I don't remember for how over many. a decade. Yes. And they didn't get one positive titanium response. So patch testing just will not show titanium. And there, besides MELISA, MELISA is in Germany, so the sample has to be shipped. There's orthopedic analysis, which also does a lymphocyte transformation okay. test in Chicago. Um, they're both a little different. Orthopedic analysis does the metal ion testing, so they can detest circulating ions mm -hmm. in the blood. Um, MELISA doesn't do that, but MELISA tests for more metal. And they actually don't just do, they just don't look for the cell proliferation. They actually, once they have a positive stimulation index, they'll look at the morphology under a microscope. So both companies are good. I've had both tests. I'm a patient of both companies, so I like them both. They both gleaned different information, and they both actually did concur, although the Melisa orthopedic analysis showed or orthopedic analysis showed me allergic to nickel, molybdenum, and iron. Um, the only positive type 4 allergy I showed with Melisa was the nickel, although it did show a positive stimulation index to molybdenum and iron. Basically, their interpretation was it was I was reacting, but it wasn't a type 4 allergy. So, so not clinically relevant, really, but... I listened to the podcast where the CEO from Eliza was on, mm -hmm. and it was interesting because now that we know that this is a type 4 hypersensitivity reaction, and we know that these are memory T lymphocytes, mm -hmm. they spin down the memory T lymphocytes, and then they put the various metals with it to see if cytokines are released. And so then that is a true reaction. Yeah. So I'm a little curious how the orthopedic, orthopedic labs would... What's they the they expose to metal also. I, I think I think it's the same type of test fundamentally. Okay. Now I'm not an expert, but just that Melisa tests for more metals and they look at the morphology. They look to see how many lymphoblasts are created under the microscope. Yeah. If I remember right. So it's a little different that way. I'm gonna have orthopedic analysis on and I'm excited to learn more about their their testing policy because they haven't really had their day on the podcast yet. But that's um, I mean, kudos to both companies because yeah. this is such a niche little thing. Yep. That if you've invested the money to do this as people that have a startup, yeah. I know what it's like when you're sitting here trying to get this company off the ground and you've got expenses and you have employees and stuff, and they're probably over there go just going, Well, it's a bigger deal than people realize. But you know, Sherry, um, if it's such a big deal, why aren't, why as a physician am I not seeing all these adverse events from the FDA telling me how many people are having these reactions? Okay, so I can answer part, I mean, part of that is, you know, does the FDA really want to go there? That's my first thing. But second, I mean, I haven't reported my own adverse event, right? So I think we are still in the infancy of understanding type 4 metal hypersensitivity in the massive public. I think doctors don't have it on their radar. Surgery centers don't have it on their radar. The FDA probably doesn't have it on their radar. I'm going to do an episode on how to re report your adverse event because patients don't know because of the delayed hypersensitivity. You know, that's my mission is to change the medical narrative, to start getting the word out. Hey, if you had a knee replacement and you're still getting infections six months or a year later, is it really infections or has your doctor offered you this metal blood LTT test, right? Most physicians don't even know it exists, nor were to tell a patient how to get it. And then, so those connections have to all start being made. If you can connect the delayed reactivity, if you can get the blood test, if you can get physicians that don't send you out saying, oh, that test isn't clinically relevant, like the doctor I saw said it wasn't clinically relevant, There's, it's a clinically validated test. It may not be super popular yet, but the data is there. 
But I think we just need to start seeing it, acknowledging it could happen, asking patients. I mean, I'm anxious to follow up with you after you play with this in practice for six months. Well, this is why I was obviously it was tongue in cheek when I said that, because if you're wondering if a physician's like, well, there's, there's hardly anything reported. My answer is how many FDA 3,500 forms have you filled out on any adverse reaction? Because that's one form. Device. Yes. Seven so this pages. is, yeah. and as someone... That, and I've got to fill it out for five devices right now? Yeah, you're busy, and they want lots of information. And I get it. They're going to say, well, we need all this information to really understand this. But as we know with the VAERS reports, drastically underreported. I mean, not even drastically. Yes. That's a exponentially or just basically one one hundredth of what should be there. So when somebody says, well, it's just there's it's not being reported because when you look at the literature, that's what it says. But there are some people that are saying this is something um, it remains difficult to identify. Knowing the full composition would help guide further management. We should really consider looking at real world data and need to recognize that there are epidemiologists like J J J Jessica Rose. Oh, Jess Rose. Yeah. Statistician. We had Jessica Rose on who's a data analytics person and she can extrapolate. Well, if this much is being reported and you look at the population base here and these people, da, 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 then really it's this just looking at mathematical models. So I say this because I've never filled out an FDA MedWatch safety information and adverse event reporting program on a device, which is called a form FDA 3500. And unless you're a Dr. Schroeder type person that takes a tremendous interest in this and maybe has a little bit of time to do that, but... Most people are starting practice, so they're kind of yeah. at the, the, you know, the the middle and the tail end, and you've got kids and family, and yeah, it's just life. I think it's going to be a grassroots, you know, grassroots patient, you I know, patient-driven movement. The patients can do this mm -hmm. and at least create a little bit of buzz, yep. and the patient can come back and say, I filled this out. Can you put this in my chart? Yeah. And we're going to walk or, or you know, can they? There have been, you know, reports of doctors that won't report it once it's turned into them. You know, I don't know why. I don't know why somebody wouldn't, but, you know, the... Um... I'm just saying that there's nothing bad comes out of this. The only thing good is that these companies that are making this go, you know what? It's a niche. Let's make a non... Let's make a non-metallic device. I don't think we're ever going to get away from implanted medical devices, period. We're never going to get away from it. But there's a, there was a study, I think I sent it to you guys, a scoliosis patient who couldn't tolerate titanium. They somehow dipped it in carbon fiber. All of a sudden, he's not reacting That's to dope. it. The, the surgeon that came on said they're using nylon coli clips now. Nylon clips are doing really, really well. Love I mean, it. you just need more non-metallic options for, for metal-sensitive patients. And every doctor I work with, every doctor I refer to, everybody... The, the second, they just go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Nobody really is sticking their head in the ground. It's just busy. They haven't heard of it. Nobody really, the, every doctor I know wants people to get better. Nobody wants to hurt anybody. We have good doctors here, great doctors here. And it's just a matter of me, like me, being totally honest. Never even occurred to me. Yeah. Until a week ago, when Eric's like, we got somebody cool coming on the podcast. I'm like, <laughs> what's that about? <laughs> it's about metal hypersensitivity. I'm like, mm. the, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I get it. I mean, 
that was not how he reacted at all. <laughs> he was excited. Um, right, ever since we'd, we'd seen The Bleeding Edge, honestly, is what it got us really diving in deep and talking deep about it. We honestly just didn't know where, where to begin to talk to somebody to get here. And then you just so happened to pop up because of uh, of uh, Doc Brad Fagley. And I was like, this is perfect. This, this. Well, how did you know that that, how did you know I was that from one, I've made a two word comment on your post. I mean, I'm glad I did. That was awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, but I freaking I'm a, I'm a, love, I'm a, I'm a weird sleuth of the strangest opportunity. I, I freaking know. love science. I mean, when you really start to see, I'm just excited for you guys to put this into practice because when you see how not rare this is, you're going to be like, this is bigger than gluten. It's as big as gluten. Nobody gets it. And, the th and so here's the thing. So I told you I went viral on Facebook a few weeks ago. It was the most random post I had ever put out. I try to post, you know, little short reels all the time. It was your stainless steel water bottle could be making you sick. It blew up the internet. It's now been seen by 650,000 people. I went from 200 followers to 8,000. But out of those, I think it was shared like 8,000 times. There were 15,000 likes and there were like over 1,000 comments. And do you want to know what the comments said? I've been telling my doctor this for years. Mm. Me too. My, numb goes, my mouth goes numb when I drink out of this stainless steel water bottle. Sorry, Yeti. This is really happening. When you start seeing me too, me too, me too, what, fire, what followed that was a viral mini short on, yes, you can be allergic to your surgical hardware. It went over half a million people. Me too, me too. Oh yeah, I had this. Oh, there's diet. No wonder when I eat this, this happens. It was a million people, guys. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for pissing off Big Yeti also now. No, I know. Pharma. Big Yeti. <laughs> Pharma, the government. I'm not suicidal. I'm in good health. Big and my wind up dead. Big Yeti. You know? <laughs> well, Sherry, thank you so much for joining us. You drove over here today. Uh, be sure and tell everybody both your web address and okay. how to find you, Facebook and otherwise. Okay. You can find me at heavilymetaled.com. Metaled is with two L's, M-E-T-T-A-L-L-E-D. Um, the podcast is, we have a YouTube channel. You guys need to tell me how to get on Rumble. I need to get on Rumble. Heavily Metaled has a YouTube channel, uh, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, not so much on Twitter, Instagram, growing every day. But uh, the course will be out soon, and you can find me all those places. All of Sherry's uh, contacts and links will be listed in show notes. Ken, any? Uh... I, uh, you have lived up to the hype. <laughs> I love your enthusiasm. I love the fact that you have endured so much and you've made it your mission to help other people so thank you so much thank you for being so honest thank you for continuing to have that fire underneath you and just wanting to help people yeah and that e that email list will you know like i said give people the roadmap that's definitely the thing to sign up for if you didn't do anything else go to the website sign up for the email list you'll get the newsletters you'll get the cool stuff you'll get the course map you'll get everything yeah so anybody that listens to this if you know anybody that's having weird symptoms Share this podcast for sure because you may be making a huge difference in somebody's life. And I, um, I admittedly have probably missed this diagnosis on many, many patients. Well, you're going to catch up now and they're going to thank you. Thank you. Be sure to like and share and we will see you all next time. Thanks again, Sherry. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com.
Podcast.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked.